All righty. Uh, here to continue Gospel of Wholeness is none other than Danny Meyer. Good morning. We've got to stop meeting like this. <laughs> well, as, as Michael said, we've been uh, going through a series called The Gospel of Wholeness. I'm going to just do a brief review. Hopefully, uh, you've been following, you've been here these last three or three weeks, uh, or you've been getting the copies of the CDs, or you've been listening online and you're fairly caught up. But I, I want to just... Just make sure that we're sort of in the same place today. Uh, the gospel of wholeness, as you know, is just an explanation of this process of sanctification. It's a practical theology of how we change, how we become more and more like, like Jesus, how we grow to, to be a reflection of his image and, and his character and his heart and his motivations. That process is, is something that we need to be clear about because what I find, and I, I shared this, I think, in the introduction, is that as a whole, I think what we could say about the church in, in America is that we are fairly well equipped. We understand how to get saved. We understand how to help somebody else come into that initial relationship with Jesus and receive the, the gift of forgiveness. But I think what is definitely true is that when it comes to how we change, how we grow, how we overcome issues in our lives or addictions in our lives or hurt and pain from the past or how we, how we, we go through that process of being transformed, I think there's a lot of confusion. I think it's kind of nebulous. It's kind of uh, hard to, to explain to somebody else, much less embrace ourselves. And therefore, what we've done in our culture is we professionalize that as well as most everything else where we, we think, well, that's why we have psychiatrists and psychologists and, and counselors and, and pastors. They help people change and grow and, and develop, and indeed they do. I have nothing, nothing against uh, those kind of professions, but I, I believe that we need to be clear that it's not as if the Lord left us helpless until the, what, the later 19th, 20th century when we began to develop, you know, psychology and psychiatry, etc. It's, it's not as if the Lord left us just to our own devices, but indeed, clearly in the scripture, just as clearly as there's an explanation of how we come into a relationship with Jesus, it is clear, and we need to be as clear in how we overcome the effect of living in this, this fallen world. So the gospel of wholeness is simply eight verses that I've, I've chosen that help to explain what the scriptures say about how we grow, how we change, how we are transformed, and how we cooperate with God in that process of, of, of change, that process of sanctification. Today probably is my favorite part of the gospel of wholeness. We're going to be only looking at one verse today. Uh, I think we've looked, looked at five already. We're going to only look at one verse today, and it deals with this topic of forgiveness. And what happens in this world, if we don't learn how to forgive, not from a secular uh, 
point of view, not in, in the, the modern understanding of forgiveness, but if we don't learn how to forgive in a biblical fashion, we walk through life sort of like this, this person in the picture here with, with more and more of a, a burden that we carry. We carry the effect of those things that have occurred in our lives, sins that were perhaps committed against us, uh, just living in a fallen world, and it loads us down. So today we're going to talk about how we, how we deal with the effect of living in this fallen world. So the Gospel of Holiness is eight verses. We've looked at five. Hopefully you've picked up those cards. There are some cards on the tables by the rear door. Each of the verses are, is listed there, and there's a key concept with each verse. Uh, so get familiar with those, and I think you'll find it to be extremely helpful, very practical in our daily walk with the Lord. So to re review quickly, the first verse that we looked at way back when is uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 through 13. And who remembers the key concept for that first verse? Sim... sim. Sin is the common problem. In Genesis chapter 3, it's the passage about the fall. And what it defines is, is what messed up, what screwed up, what, what unraveled God's purposes here on earth. And it was the entrance of sin into the world. When Adam and Eve fell, when Adam and Eve chose their own desire, their own will over God's will. So Genesis 3, 6-13 shows what the common problem is that all of us have to deal with. And then the second verse is in Jeremiah 2.13. Just a wonderful verse that paints a, a terrific picture of of this issue of sin and the way that Jeremiah described it, actually God described it through his prophet Jeremiah, is really, you could sum it up this way, that we've all committed really two sins. And the, the first is that we've abandoned God who is our spring of living water. In other words, God is the one who is able to give us life. God is the one who gives us hope. God is the source of our peace. God is to be the hope of our security. God is to be the hope of our identity, our sense of worth, our, our, uh, our, our hope for the future, our joy. We find life through God. But what, this, what Jeremiah said, or what God said through Jeremiah, is that we've abandoned, we've turned away from God as the source of life, and what we've done is we've begun to try to find life from things in this world. The way it was described in Jeremiah is that we begin to dig these wells, but they're, they're empty wells, they're broken wells, they cannot bring water to us, they cannot provide life. And I describe those empty wells, which is the key concept for that second verse, empty wells. I describe those empty wells simply as our sins of choice. Each of us turned to different things in order to, to bring life, in order to try to find life. Some of us turn to things that are not bad in and of themselves, but if we try to find life out of it, it's going to turn out to be an empty well. If we try to find life out of our family or life out of our friendships or life out of, out of our degrees or, or life out of our work, those aren't wrong in and of themselves. But if we're trying to pull something, our identity, our worth, our value, our hope, our peace, out of those things, it's not going to happen. If we try to find life out of our possessions, out of our bank accounts, it's not going to happen. So 
the, the second verse is simply talking about these empty wells, these sins of choice that we have pursued in order to find what we don't really believe God will, will provide for us. Third verse is in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And Galatians, what, what Paul describes, is the reason why we, if we are Christians, and if we're going to be biblical, why we have to deal with this, this common issue of, of sin. And what, what uh, Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8 is that we shouldn't be surprised. God, it's, <laughs> Paul says, God's not going to be mocked. Whatever is sown out of our flesh will reap destruction. Okay? When we fall, when we sin, when we choose to go our own way, when we push away from God and, and, and try to find life through, through counterfeit means in this world, it's going to reap a bad harvest. It's going to sow weeds in our lives. There's a principle of sowing and reaping, and that's the key concept to this third verse. Sowing and reaping. And it's not just our own sins that will reap a bad harvest, but it's sins committed against us. When we are sinned against, it adds to that load that we carry in this life unless we learn how to deal with it biblically. And that's what we're talking about in this gospel of wholeness. How do we deal with sin, our own sins and sins committed against us, in a biblical fashion, so that we don't have to walk through life loaded down, so we don't walk through our lives constantly being controlled by the past, things we've done, or things that were done to us, but we can fix our eyes once again on the Lord and pursue Him, rather than just react and respond to those things that have happened, to the sin in our past. So, Galatians 6, 7, and 8, the key concept is sowing and reaping. Now, the next verse that we looked at, having defined what the, what the problem is, which is, what's the common problem? You're good. So we defined the common problem. Now what we want to do is sort of turn the corner. You know, we want to turn the corner from looking at the problem and the reality that we reap what we sow or what is sown into us, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, what Paul says is that as the, the way we deal with this common issue of sin is the same way we, we deal with that initial connection with Jesus. What, what Paul says in Colossians, 6, uh, Colossians 2, 6 is that as we receive Christ, that's how we walk with Christ. Or we could paraphrase it as we came into a relationship with Jesus is the same way in which we grow in our relationship with Jesus. How you got saved is how you get sanctified. How you got saved is the same process, biblically speaking, as to how you grow to become more and more like Christ. Which begs the question then, how did we come to Christ? If that's the key for how we grow, if how we, how we got saved is the key to how we get changed and sanctified, then how did we come to Christ? Well, the next verse is in uh, Ephesians 2.8. And what Paul says in Ephesians 2.8 is that we were saved by grace through faith. 
We were saved through what God did for us on our own behalf, not what we deserved and earned and figured out on our own. We were saved by a supernatural act of God, by grace, what he did, taken hold of by faith, by leaning on it, by believing, by trusting in what God does and did that we can't do for ourselves. And the key concept for that verse is supernatural exchange. This is so important. If we are gonna be biblical, new covenant believers, if we're gonna be believers who are walking as Jesus described uh, the, the normal Christian life, we need to understand that the life, the normal Christian life is a series of supernatural exchanges. The normal Christian life is not, I said last week, just a changed life. It's an exchanged life. You remember I, I shared the story about my grandfather and I and how I would see him each weekend when he came to visit. And I, he would bring something, a, a candy bar, and he would make me exchange something for that candy bar. And I'd, I'd give him a, a, a piece of, of, of paper I found in my pocket or some some lint or some sand in the bottom of my, I, I made this exchange each week and how God spoke to me and what God wants us to realize that the normal Christian life is just this series of giving to God what has no worth and receiving back what has great worth and eternal value. I remember when my, I forget whether it was Christopher or JT, but when, when one of the two of those, uh, my sons were, were very small, maybe, you know, maybe three or four years old. I was giving them a bath. They had been outside just playing all day and, and the, gave them the bath, got them out of the bathtub, pulled the, the plug out of the tub because if I pulled it out too soon, they were afraid they were going to go down the drain. But I, I'd get them out, dry them off, pull the plug out, and there around the edge of the, the tub was this, this, you know, ooze, this collection of, of life from the day. And I remember I turned to, to, I think it was Jay, and I said, Jay, what, what is that? And he said, boy stuff. <laughs> and I said, are you going to just leave it there? And he said, yeah, you can have it. <laughs> it was great wisdom on his part. Number one, when we walk through this life, we accumulate world stuff. We accumulate just the, the effect of living in a broken, fallen world. But if we're smart, we, we would go to our Father in heaven and say, listen, I, I don't want this. I don't want this. You, you can have it. That we give him the accumulations of walking in a fallen world and in exchange, we supernaturally receive from the inside out what only God can do. We, we begin that process and walk in that process of, of exchanging what we don't want to carry for what only God can provide. The normal Christian life is a supernatural exchange, and that was the key concept to that verse in, in, uh, in, where? in uh, Galatians or in Ephesians, rather. Supernatural exchange. So today, we're going to look at how, what we do with this common problem of sin, specifically sins committed against us. Next week, we'll look at what we do with the sins that we commit. 
Okay, but today we're going to talk about what about sins that are sown into us? Because sins that are sown into us will also reap corruption, will reap destruction. It doesn't matter whether we were sinned against this morning or whether we were sinned against when we were, you know, three years old. It's going to bear bad fruit, sowing and reaping. So that's where we're headed today. So the verse that we're going to look at, we're only going to look at one verse today, is Matthew, or two verses, both in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, and Matthew chapter 18, verse 32. There's going to be a key concept that I give that will cover both verses, but I'm not going to give it to you yet. So all those of you who are OCD and see a blank space on the top of this page, you're going to just have to wait. I'm not going to give you the, the uh, key concept yet. So let's go ahead and read the, that first verse, Matthew 18, 18. It says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth or release on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We deal with sins that are committed against us through forgiveness. Through forgiveness. And I want us to understand that Matthew 18, this chapter in Matthew 18, is talking about forgiveness. I hear so often we use that, that verse, you know, so uh, binding and loosing when, we're, when we talk about demons and casting out demons and loosing and binding spirits. And... Matthew 18 is not talking about dealing with the demonic. Matthew 18 is talking about dealing with sin. It's talking about forgiveness. So implicit in this passage, whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you see there is, there is an explicit supernatural exchange going between heaven and earth? And if this is talking about, about forgiveness, we need to understand that forgiveness at its core, biblically speaking, is about something that takes place in heaven that has an earthly effect, something that takes place on earth that has a heavenly effect. And we, we need to recognize that there is a, a cultural understanding of what forgiveness is about, but then there's a biblical understanding. You know, we think in a very secular cultural context, and there's truth in that, that we think of forgiveness as something that takes place between two people. Somebody sins against me, and, and I say to them, I forgive you. Ideally, I sin against somebody. That's not ideal. But if I sin against somebody and I say, please forgive me, they extend forgiveness. And on, on an earthly plane, the cultural, secular understanding of forgiveness has to do with how do you, how do you work out relationships here on earth. But biblical forgiveness... Our understanding how to deal with sin biblically when we're sinned against is not something that just takes place here on an earthly plane. But forgiveness is a supernatural exchange, something that takes place between heaven and earth, something that God does by his grace that has an earthly effect in my life, something that I engage in here on earth that has a, that in, enables this, this supernatural transaction 
to take place between God and ourselves. It's something that involves my will, but clearly it involves his power. Biblical forgiveness, as we're going to discuss it today, is not just some catharsis. Biblical forgiveness is not just something to help us feel better or help the person who has sinned or the person who has been sinned against just feel better. Biblical forgiveness has to do with how we find ourselves free from the effect, from the, the, the sowing and reaping, from the bad fruit that that sin has, has been causing. Biblical forgiveness has to do with how we unload that bad fruit so we don't carry it around, so it no longer controls us. For this reason, biblical forgiveness is more about an exchange between the offended and uh, the offended party and God than between the offended and the offender. You understand? Biblical forgiveness, or, or let me just say earthly forgiveness, secular forgiveness as I'll refer to it, has to do with getting things worked out between two people. And that, that's valuable. I'm not taking away from that. But what the scriptures is, is talking about is how we how we unload, how we come out from under the control and the effect and the bad fruit that, uh, that, that is a result of sin. And it doesn't have to do with me and the person who I sinned against or sinned against me. Biblical forgiveness is something that takes place between me and God. That supernatural exchange through which freedom comes through which a, 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 a binding of the bad fruit, a loosing of the power and the control that it has over, over us. Forgiveness is a choice to release a person to God, recognizing that he, God, is the judge, not us. And only God has the right and the authority to determine the discipline or the judgment or even the, the revenge. I mean, God said, vengeance is mine. But biblical forgiveness is a loosing, saying, God, I, I give you this person. I give you their, what they did. I give you the effect of what they did. And in exchange, Father, won't you loose me or, or bind the bad fruit that is being sown in my lives because of what happened? And, and this is such good news. Because if, if forgiveness depended, depended on my interaction with a, the person who sinned against me, what happens if, it, if the person's no longer alive? If it depended on what a person did to me and, 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 and that person asking me to forgive them or me telling them I for, that I forgive them, what happens if if they never ask forgiveness? What happens if they say, I did nothing wrong, and it's your fault, Danny, that I did that? But biblical forgiveness isn't dependent on a person asking for forgiveness. It's not dependent on that person even being around or being in my life any longer. Biblical forgiveness is something that takes place between me and God and supernaturally something that God does from the inside out. You with me so far? And that's why this is part of the gospel, why it's good news. 
But unforgiveness, when we don't forgive, is simply our way of usurping God's job. See, when I don't forgive, what I'm saying is, vengeance is mine. When I don't forgive, when I don't say, Jesus, I, I, I loose, I release this person and what they said or what they did to you, then I'm saying, God, I am going to be the one to hold on to this and deal with it in my own way. And oftentimes what our way is, is, is we sort of mentally have this little IOU. They did this to me. And I'm going to, I'm going to just write that down. And it's going to be something that I'll hold against them. I'm their judge. And I'm the one that executes punishment. And all too often, my punishment will be, I'm just not going to forgive them. I might say I forgive them, but it's always going to be in that tone that they know I really didn't. Or I'm not going to forgive them, and I'm going to, just, I'm going to make them have to earn their way back in. I'm going to keep them in the doghouse. I'm going to hold on to this IOU just so I, they squirm a little bit. You see, it's usurping God's role. It's saying, God, I'll, I'll take care of this. I, I, know how to, I know how to teach them a lesson. I, I know how what will make me feel better. I'm going to make them, I'm going to make them squirm. And in, in so doing, we just continue to carry around these the, the, the boulders, we just continue to carry around that bad fruit because of sowing and reaping. And we end up reaping the consequence as well as the person who sinned. So rather than holding on and, and not releasing the person to the God, rather than having an IOU, forgiveness is handing the offender to Jesus and then walking away. Whether we're dealing with, the, with uh, uh, something that happened when we were a child, perhaps there was, there was abuse in your home, physical abuse or verbal abuse, sexual abuse. Rather than having to walk with the fruit that, had, that was sown into you by that offense, we get to say, Jesus, you're the judge. I, I give this person... And what was done, what was said, I give this person to you. And then, Lord, you deal with them how you want, in the way you want, according to your wisdom. You deal with them. But, Lord, as I loose them to you, won't you bind that fruit, that, 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 the, the effect, the earth stuff that, that has accumulated on me, won't you free me from that? You follow me? There's a supernatural exchange. And God is able to do that. Supernaturally. This isn't just catharsis. This isn't just something that, that works in our mind and we sort of psych ourselves up for. God does something supernaturally and releases us. We hand the offender to Jesus. And then we walk away. It's as if you, if you went home today and someone had broken into your home and, and stole and damaged some of your, your priceless possessions, you, you'd, be, you'd be hurt, you'd be angry, you'd be mad. And they, if they caught that person, they take him to trial and they find the person guilty 
and you see him walked off by the, 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 the bailiff and, and be placed in jail, you would be able to take a deep breath and know, okay, justice is being done. You wouldn't need to go to the jail each day and, and see what is he eating, what is he doing, how are they treating him. You know he's going to be dealt with. And, and it's, a similar, it's a similar thing. We say, Jesus, you deal with this person. I don't want to. I don't want to have to carry this around. I don't want this, to, this incident, this, this sin to control me. Whether it's abuse or whether you grew up in, in just a home where there was just a lot of isolation or whether there was abandonment or rejection. You know, we, we want to be free from those things. And it's not just, let me just throw in here, we need to deal not just with sins that another person does against us, Sometimes we're, we're having to deal with, with the sin of Adam. <laughs> By that I mean just the, the fallenness in this world. You know, a, 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 a parent dies when we're young. Well, it's not like the parent sinned against us. But, it's the, but there's a consequence to the effect of that fallenness in this world. That still came out of Genesis chapter 3. Death entered the world. Sickness entered the world. And we have to learn how to make those exchanges. And we'll be talking practically how that looks, but we, we come to God. Lord, take this, but free me from how it's affecting me. The abandonment that I feel to this day. The, the projection on others of uh, disapproval because of what I grew up with. I see the bad fruit in my life. I want to be loosed from that. You with me so far? No, it doesn't matter because I'm going on. So when we forgive, Jesus releases us from the power of that offender's sin. The, uh, releases us from, uh, of, from the power of that offender's sin that it had over us. It's supernatural. It is supernatural. And it's no different than when we first come to Christ. Remember, as we got saved is how we get sanctified. As we received Christ, that's how we walk with Christ. It's no different than, than what happens at salvation. When, when I got saved, the, the, the individual who led me to the Lord recognized that God was going to begin a, a work in me. There was a lot of stuff in my life that was an absolute mess. He didn't pray with me and then start giving me a list of, okay, now, Danny, you got to stop doing this. you got to stop doing that. you got to start doing this. You better do this. Don't do this anymore. Don't say that anymore. He didn't give me a list of what I had to do because he knew that God would begin to work. Now, over time, I, you know, saw, you know, I read the scriptures, and there are times where, you know, where people would say, not a great idea. But even at those times, they knew that the transformation, the change was going to be a work of Christ, not just me gritting it out, right? When I first became a Christian, all of a sudden, things began to change. Desires that I had in the past began slowly, began to dissipate. Desires that I never had all of a sudden, there's something that was being done from the inside out. I mean, getting up early on Sunday morning to go to church, it never ever crossed my mind. 
But all of a sudden, there's something that was being produced in me. A desire to, to worship, a desire to, to come together with others who, who were following God, a desire, to, a desire to come and listen to the word being preached. Those things occurred because of what the Holy Spirit was doing. It was supernatural. And if that's supernatural, then this, this process of becoming like Jesus ought to be and is intended to be supernatural as well. Not me just gritting my teeth and saying, now that I'm a Christian, now I need to begin to change my heart towards things. But it's saying, oh God, I see the effect and how some things from my past control me today. But Lord, I can't just stop feeling that way, stop reacting that way. So I give it to you and in exchange, release me. It's his power, his power. And oftentimes people don't forgive because they don't, they don't understand what forgiveness is biblically. They think forgiveness means saying to the other person in your mind or directly is, is like saying it's okay. In fact, how often when someone does ask us to forgive them, do we say, oh, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Think about what that means. What we're saying is Jesus steps off the throne of God, goes to the cross, suffered because of sin. And we're saying, it's okay, no big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Sin will bear bad fruit. It's a big deal to Jesus. Because sin will take control in a person's life when it's sown into us. It's a big deal. And he wants to free us. He wants us to deal with it biblically so we can be free. It, it's not okay. Sometimes we don't forgive because we think, if I forgive, it's like the, the person who sinned against me gets away with it. I don't want them to get away with it. No, forgiveness doesn't mean to get away with something. Forgiveness just means that's God's job to be at work in their life, to help them, to deal with with what's, what's caused that in their life. It's just, it's not my job. So, just like with my grandfather, Jesus, won't you take this, which, which I don't want, which has no value in my life, it's just it's pain or hurt, won't you take this person, these words, this season of my life, and by your power, begin to loose me, set me free from its, its, its effect. We think that forgiveness necessitates it being forgotten. Well, maybe so, usually not. Sin doesn't mean that it's forgotten. But well, forgiveness doesn't mean that we'll forget what happened. But forgiveness does mean, as we learn to forgive, and sometimes forgive over and over again, it means that the power, the control that it has over us can be continually loosed released and broken. Now, we don't have to necessarily, and this is a good thing, we don't have to uh, forgive every sin that has been committed over us. You know, that would be impossible, wouldn't it? And, and indeed, if you grew up in, in difficult situations, maybe you were in a, in a very abusive marriage, maybe you came up in a, uh, grew up in an extraordinarily 
dysfunctional home. Maybe you were bullied as a child. Whatever the, the case may be, it, it, we, we may not be able to, in, in fact, we certainly won't be able to, to forgive every time there was a sin. But what I find the Lord graciously willing and able to do is to sort of give us a, a representative sin that we can pray through. Let, let me explain what I mean. The, the, there was a, a person I was, I was counseling once, and, and we were talking about this issue of biblical forgiveness and what it meant. And, and I asked that person about, you know, they, they were sharing about the, the home life. And it was just a horrible, horrible home life. Her, her, her parents were extremely critical and judgmental, and they were perfectionistic. And, and what I did is I, I, I said, give me, give me one example that it may, it may not be the most significant incident in your, in your childhood that reflects this, but give me an example of what you're talking about. And, and she said, well, I don't know why this sticks in my mind, but I've always remembered. And she talked about a situation where she came home with a report card, and she showed that report card. She had, you know, had mostly all A's, maybe one B, showed that report card to her, her dad. Her dad looked at it, and she said, he looked at the report card, said, you got a B, tossed it down on the table and said, your brother got all A's. And, and there was far worse abuse than that in her home, but for some reason, something happened. That stuck in her mind years and years and, and decades later. That was sort of like a representation of the, the critical nature, the, the harsh nature the, that I never, ever will, will, will be approved of. And we use that, then as we prayed, and as we made an exchange with God, we use that as a representation of a whole season, a whole, a whole series, a whole lifestyle of hurt and offense. You understand? And we went and said, Jesus, I give you that time. All I want is from my father to smile and say, that's great, that's good. That's what I needed, that's what I wanted. But his, his response, God, just crushed me. It made me feel like I never will be good enough. But Lord, I now, I give you my father. You deal with him how you want, when you want, in the way you want. But Lord, supernaturally, loose me, free me, bind those, the fruit that I see in my life today because of that and so many other instances like that. Free me from the, the self-condemnation. Free me from this expectation of failure on my part. Free me from how judgmental I am towards myself. And as she began to learn how to make those supernatural exchanges, we saw far more quickly than you could imagine, we saw God begin to break that. So, Matthew 18, verse 35, adds a little bit to this understanding of biblical forgiveness. And what it says, again, this, uh, in Matthew 18, 35, is this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So forgiveness, what Jesus was saying, forgiveness needs to come from our heart. From our heart. And in, indeed, the, the key concept is forgiveness from the heart. 
Now, we're taught as evangelicals that forgiveness is a choice. You ever heard a, a, a pastor or teacher say, forgiveness is a choice. You need to choose to forgive. And there's truth in that. But forgiveness is a choice, but it's a choice that ideally is made from the heart as a whole person, not just from the neck up. The uh, biblical forgiveness is from the heart, and this means it's from the place of hurt and anger. Okay? Forgiveness is from the place of hurt and anger. Because, Because hurt and anger are the biblical responses to sin. When we're sinned against, that hurt that you may feel, that anger that you may feel, is a reflection of the fact that we bear the image of God. It's because we're a chip off the old block. We feel hurt and anger when we're sinned against because God feels hurt and anger over sin. I mean, have you read that book? When Jesus was on the, the Mount of Olives, when Jesus was there and he was looking over Jerusalem, the night he was about to be betrayed, what does it say? He looked over Jerusalem. He, he just began to weep uncontrollably. He, he, he said, how often I just wanted to gather you, Israel, like a hen would gather her chicks under her wings. I wanted to gather you, but you wouldn't have me. And he was weeping. Jesus was rejected, and there was clear hurt on his part. That wasn't sin on his part. That wasn't weakness on his part. That was part of the very nature of God. There's a sorrow that comes when we're sinned against. There can be hurt. When Jesus saw the sin against him and his father in in the temple, remember he walks in and sees the money changers? What did he do? Did he say, oh, you money changers, there you go again. You know, don't do that. No, he, he walked into the temple and he flipped tables upside down and drove the money changers out of the temple with whips. Now, I, I don't know about your home, but in my home that would constitute anger. But that was Jesus. Hurt and anger are the biblical responses to sin. And that's why Jesus is saying, when you forgive, you need to forgive as a whole person. You can't separate your head and your heart and be so detached and expect there to be the release, the work that God can do on the inside. And if we fail to forgive the hurt and anger, what happens is the hurt and the anger, even though they're the biblical responses, the hurt turns to despair. The anger turns to bitterness. So even though hurt and anger are the biblical responses, we're not suitable containers to hang on to hurt and anger. Okay? We need to release it as soon as possible. We need to release it so it doesn't turn into despair and hopelessness, and bitterness. 
And, and what happens, though, is oftentimes we sweep sins from our childhood under the carpet because we, as a kid, you may think, well, I, I deserve this. I am a bad person. I deserve the, this abuse. I des- I, 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 there's just something wrong with me. You don't realize, you, you know, a five-year-old doesn't sit there and think, oh, this is my father's uh, brokenness. Actually, I'm fine and I'm a, a good person. But my father is just, you know, he's just out of control here and I don't take it don't take no a child will will assume that abuse from a, a, a parent or ridicule from a teacher or rejection from friends they'll assume there's something wrong with me and they'll just sweep it under the carpet and then we begin to think you know time will heal you know well it's a long time ago but time doesn't heal Jesus heals and if we're going to be biblical people, we need to take those things that may have gotten swept under the carpet. We need to be willing to, to let Jesus pull the carpet back and for us to begin to play catch up. It's common for there to be a gap between the head and the heart. I remember years ago I was talking to a, a man in our church. This was couple of decades ago, three decades ago probably. His name was David, and I remember talking to David, and he, uh, he, 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 the reason he came to me is because his wife basically said, if you don't go and talk to, to, to Danny or somebody, I'm leaving you. I said, well, David, tell me what's going on. She goes, well, she thinks I'm an overly, ang- overly angry person. I said, well, tell me about it. And as a turned out I mean he had lost jobs because of his anger he had gotten you know arrested for road rage because of his anger anger was spewing out towards his his kids towards his wife and all over and I, I, I knew okay that's that's what that's the sowing and reaping I knew that's the the, the fruit of things that must have happened in his life you know, I, I knew there must have been a source. I, remember I talked last week about emotional reflexes, bends in, in a fishing pole? Well, I, I, clearly there was this expression that something was getting hooked under the surface, and I began to ask him questions about where all that anger came from. And I, I, one of the things I said is, David, tell me a little bit about your family. And, and like all of us, he said, well, it's pretty normal, because we always think our family is, is normal. And I said, well, tell me about your normal family. How, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, how did your parents do discipline and he said well sometimes when I was bad when I was real little you know maybe four or five years old my, when I did something wrong my father would take me down into the basement he said we, we lived in this big old house and there were these rafters and my father would put me in this in this sack this burlap sack that he had in the basement tie it up on top and then he'd hang me over one of the rafters hang the sack over a rafter and leave me down there for an hour or so and he was sharing that with me, and I was thinking, I mean, I was thinking what well, you were thinking, like, oh my gosh, I, I, I couldn't believe it. But yet he was able to tell me about that as if it was somebody else, like it was a movie that he had watched. There was no connection. Had I said, David, you need to forgive your father right now, he would have said, sure, I forgive my father. But there was no connection to his heart. He had so separated his head from his heart. And over those those next few weeks, we began to help him understand, David, the anger that's spewing out at your, your family, your children, people on the road, bosses, and so on, even pastors. The anger that spews out of you 
it's just been there and gets tapped into, but it's, it's anger you've been carrying, not just from that incident, but from what that points to, what that represents, how, how you are related to. And over time, he was able to, to realize that, get in touch with it. So when he was able to, to make that supernatural exchange, it was from the heart. It was from that place of, of hurt and anger, at least to a reasonable degree. So when he gave his father to the, to the Lord, it wasn't just from the neck up. It wasn't just some intellectual exercise, but it was as a whole person. And this is why it's, it's always better off to forgive quickly because in that moment, our heads and our hearts are well connected. In the moment, if we forgive right away, if we go to the Lord right away and say, Father, that, that hurt me, what, what was just done, what was said, how that person related, it, it, it frustrates me, it makes me angry, but Lord, you're the judge, I hand them to you. But now come supernaturally from the inside out, loose me from the, the effect that it has. Loose me from that hurt and that anger. God is faithful to do that. And that's why we, we ought to forgive quickly. But sometimes, as God slowly book, pulls back the carpet years later, we end up having to forgive. And sometimes we forgive over and over because of the layers of, of hurt and anger that are revealed. You know, we forgive, and then all of a sudden, a week later, a month later, we realize, oh, there's, there's new layers that are bubbling to the surface. Or sometimes that we've, we've taken the forgiveness back. But bottom line, forgiveness needs to be reformatted in our minds. It's not something that just takes place between two people. It's something that takes place between us and God. It's that exchange. It's saying, Jesus, here's what happened. Here's this representative memory. Here are these words that were said. Here are these names that I was called. Here are the, here's the, the experiences that I had over a whole season of my life. And I give the, that experience. I give those words still ringing in my mind. I, I give that person to you. I'll leave them in your hands, but I need for you to, to dig up those seeds that were sown in me. I need for you to set me free. And over and over again, I've seen God's faithfulness in my life and other people's lives to do that. But it's not just something that goes on in our minds. Let me give one example. I'll finish up with this, and we're going to go over a few minutes. But I'm up here, and you're not, so I get to do that. You know, there is an individual who came to me a few weeks ago, and they, they had a, uh, they were sharing about, again, just this, this you know, very harsh, but, but uh, separate uh, a father who was just so, so separate from the family, critical, but would not, didn't relate to the family. And this person, this person just walked around with, with low self-esteem, with a, a fear of failure, paralyzed to take action. 
And, and she, you know, we talked about this and we, we began to, you know, uh, it, it, when we were together, I said, well, let's make an exchange. We had talked about it. She listened to the gospel of holiness. I said, let's make an ex- exchange. And I said, let's, let's give that person to the Lord. And she, you know, she prayed about it. And it was, it was from the heart. She was very in touch with it. And I said, okay, now let's wait, okay? Because it's an exchange. It's not just a dialogue with God, give it and then walk away. I said, let's wait and see what he might say as she told the Lord what, what had happened and what was still so real in her, in her heart and mind. And we waited for, you know, 30 seconds, a minute or so. And I said, well, are you sensing anything? And as is usually the case, she said, no, no, I don't hear anything. I don't sense anything. I said, well, here's your assignment this week. I want you to go home, and I want every day, take at least just five minutes a day and talk to the Lord. Hand these, these, these experiences and, and hand your father over to the Lord for all the, the different forms of abuse that you experienced. Hand them over to the Lord, but don't leave his presence for, for at least a minute or two. And just wait quietly and see what gets deposited. In fact, I said, why don't you get a pad and, and on the top of the page, just write down just briefly what you're giving to God and then draw a line through the center of the page and write down on the bottom of the page what you feel God said or is doing or what you sensed or a verse or a picture that he, that he puts into your mind. And she came back and page after page, what she said, nothing on the bottom. But then all of a sudden, one of the days, she wrote down, I had told, I was telling God about some of the names that, that my father would call me. And I felt this thought came into my mind that God was saying, he calls me princess. And then she said, but I think that's, that's, just, that's just me. And I said, why do you think that's you? Is that normally how you think of God's view of you? She said, no. I said, so why would you assume that this is? And all of a sudden, things begin to click. She kept on doing that and learned and practiced how to, to take hold of what God was doing and what God was saying. And God speaks to us in, in different ways. Some people get pictures and some people, you know, you, you sort of sense him speaking words. And sometimes it's just a, a sense of peace or a sense of his, his love or a sense of his presence. And, and this isn't some kind of a, a, a methodology. This is just learning how to have a relationship with God and really make exchanges. But just like any kind of relationship, it takes practice. And here's your assignment for this week. Why don't you stand up? What I want you to do this week, and we're going to go just over about three or four minutes here. What, what I want you to do this week is take those things that may have come to your mind, things from the recent past, the far past, things about your family or a previous marriage or interaction with friends or work. Take those things that, that still are like boulders that you carry around that still have effect in your lives. And I want you to give it to the Lord this week. But don't just turn on your heel and walk out of his presence. We never should leave the presence of God empty-handed. Give it to the Lord. Ask the Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to do in exchange? And then take hold of that and allow. The Bible says he sends his word and heals us. Take what God shows you and and just think about it, meditate on it, and learn how to to have that connection. Learn over time how to make those exchanges. You with me? 
and we're going to start today. We're going to do one last song. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. For those of you who clearly you know what it is that you need to exchange, at least where you need to start making exchanges, I want to invite you to just come forward. Again, nothing magical about the front, but sometimes it's very helpful to to just break that kind of lethargy, that passivity uh, by, by stepping out. Come forward and just real simply, we're not going to have people pray for you, but real simply, just between you and God, say, Jesus, here's what I'm giving you. And I need for that exchange to begin today and then to continue on this week and then the weeks to come. So we're going to do one final song. Come and begin to engage those exchanges with the Lord, okay? Why don't you come forward now? Father, we give you these, these thoughts, these memories, these, these words that we, we carry with us to this day. We just hand them to you tonight, or today, Lord. Take these, these individuals. Deal with them when and how you want. Lord, free us, not necessarily from the memory, but free us, Lord, from the power, the hurt, the disappointment, the anger, so that we can walk forward being controlled by you and not controlled by the, the sin or the memory. Lord, begin right now and then continue, Lord, through this week and through the, the weeks and months to come, continue to, to teach us how to be a people who walk in continual supernatural ways, making regular supernatural exchanges to you. Lord, this is the, the normal Christian life. Teach us how, teach us how to live this normal Christian life. Come and have your way with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're, if you're up here in front, feel free to continue and just wait on the Lord. All of us, Lord, or uh, all of us, though, I want to encourage you begin to practice making those exchanges, taking hold of not just what you're giving to him, but what he is giving to you and saying to you, showing you an exchange, okay? God bless you guys. 